Welcome to the London Irish Business Society Leadership Series. My name is Brian O'Connor. In this series, we spend time with leaders across a range of industries, discussing their careers, leadership advice, and what it means to be part of the global Irish community. On today's podcast, I'm joined by Rachel Hussey, Partner and Head of Business Development at Arthur Cox. Arthur Cox is one of Ireland's leading law firms with a headcount of more than 800 people across five global offices. Rachel is responsible for business development, strategy, and identifying new business opportunities for the firm. She is a member of the firm's management committee, chairs the firm's corporate social responsibility advisory board, and plays a key role in the Women in the Firm initiative. Rachel is also chair of the 30% Club Ireland, a business-led movement committed to achieving better gender balance at all levels of organizations. Rachel has been recognized on the Harrow's Top 100 Female Executives list which honors 100 international senior female role models who are helping to increase gender diversity in the workplace. Rachel, welcome to the Lives Leadership Series. Thanks, Brian. Delighted to be here and thank you for inviting me. Rachel, you founded the Women in the Firm initiative at Arthur Cox in 2009, which brought women partners together to formulate a strategy to empower women in the practice. What inspired you to launch the Women in the Firm initiative and have the issues the group is focusing on evolved over the past 10 plus years? Well, I think it's interesting that, yes, it was 2009, which is clearly 11 years ago, and it's difficult to believe now it's, it was quite a radical thing to do. I think there wasn't, not a lot of businesses were focused on gender as, a, as an issue, and there were very few firms or even indeed companies that had initiatives around women. And I suppose I had a sense that um, the playing field maybe wasn't as level as it might have been, and that if there was something that I could do personally and that we could do as a group, um, to empower the women. I think that's a really important distinction that it was about empowering women and not helping women because I think that's a very important distinction. So it was just to, um, to provide that kind of social support as well. And I think a lot of women's initiatives start off as being a sort of a social support, which is a really important part of networking and of support. But I think then they all need to evolve into more kind of institutional um, support, which is where we ultimately ended up. And even calling it women in the firm is a little bit, you know, it's old fashioned now. It's much more focused on gender. And, and uh, you know, maybe there was even talk back then about equality as opposed to diversity. So I think the whole conversation has moved on considerably, both in Arthur Cox, but in the world as, as a whole. Um, the issues, I think, are so, somewhat similar as they, uh, that they were. I think there was an awareness raising um, piece that needed to happen back in the, I suppose, the last decade. And uh, I think that, again, it was about bringing the women together as well, because I think sometimes, certainly at that stage, women were sort of, everyone was trying to forge their own career, not necessarily having time to look up and look around. And I think bringing women together was a very powerful thing to do. Um, and then I think inevitably when you deal, you start dealing with one sort of section of, of a community, whether, you know, in our case, a law firm, issues arise that then maybe can be used more broadly in the firm. So, for example, the women partners began mentoring the women, the, the female associates, and then the sense was, well, maybe this is working so well, we should have this across the firm. So I think the whole thing evolves, and then um, you realize that, you know, diversity is about way more than just gender. And so we sort of evolved to appointing diversity partners and focusing on other areas as well, so LGBT and um, ability and you know a, a whole series of them and health and mental health so there's a lot of a series of other initiatives so it's been broadened out way more than just gender so I think it was it was on a, we, we were on a journey that I think a lot of organizations have had similar journeys. 
and, and indeed, and I know we'll come on to talk about the 30% lab, but the research that we've done in 30% lab would show that, you know, whereas five years ago, not every firm or organization in the country had a focus on diversity, by now, you know, 95% do. So it's, it's, it's an, as they, it's come a long way, really, in 11 years. You've talked previously about how organizations with mature diversity and inclusion policies were better equipped to respond to the COVID-19 crisis. Forget if you could share your thoughts on the importance of these policies for organizations during the pandemic. Absolutely. I do think it was, um, it was a huge sort of benefit for, for organizations and firms that were focused on GNI in a, in a serious and, and mature way. I suppose that the most stark example of that was that uh, organizations and firms that were set up with good agile working policies, which were inevitably in response to a DNI initiative, could set up, have everybody set up from home very quickly. And I think some organizations who were less advanced in that regard, it took them a much longer time to, to come to terms with the fact that they had to set everybody up. I mean, you know, firms that had people with home, home working kind of kits and things like that were, were way better placed to, to hit the ground running more quickly. I also think that um, in a culture that's inclusive, the whole management of teams remotely came more easily to those type of organizations who were used to taking kind of team sentiment into account and managing teams remotely is a, is a different skill, but it really brings that inclusive leadership piece to the fore. And I think that's, that's a real benefit for organizations that were, were advanced in that kind of DNI journey. What elements of that inclusive leadership have you seen take on increasing importance during this crisis for, for managing remote teams? Well, I think, I mean, there's been a lot of talk in the, in the media around, you know, different um, international world leaders and whether some people have handled this better than others. But I think if you bring that back in, in, into business, I think that sort of leadership traits that are more acutely associated with women, but obviously they're, they're, they can be found in men as well, obviously, and they're important to have them in men too, but is around compassion, authenticity. I think that's, a, a, and even a humility, because I think, a, a, and being honest and, and recognizing and, and saying to teams that, you know, none of us knew what was going to happen. None of us knew what we were dealing with. And, and having that authenticity, I think, is a, is a, a very important part of, of sort of leadership in, in this time and back to what I said earlier around inclusivity as well because to be alive to the sort of dynamics in the team even at a, a Zoom meeting if you have 10 people on a Zoom meeting to make sure that everybody on the team is, is having a chance to speak and bringing people into the conversation and being alive to people who maybe aren't involving themselves in the conversation and keep an eye on them that way which is more easy to do in a room than it is on, on a virtual situation. But I think those kind of traits are, are, and leadership abilities are, are way more important now than they ever were. Reflecting on your career to date, which I think we've all been given a bit of an opportunity to do uh, in this uh, relative quiet period, what role would you say mentorship has played on your career, both as a mentor and a mentee? Well. I think that having a mentor is a really important thing. I think that when I was talking about setting up the initiative back in the um, 2008-9, we talked about mentorship. But I think even before that, I don't think, I think I did have mentors, but I don't think we called them mentors at that time. I think that I didn't know they were mentors and it certainly wasn't a formal process. But there have definitely been people in my career who were 
very good at counseling and giving me advice and uh, sort of minding my career for me, if you like. And, and I really value that, particularly in retrospect. Um, about 10 years ago, I was, uh, I took part in, in a cross company, company mentoring um, program with, with Prista. And that was a really interesting experience being mentored by somebody who is outside my organization. And I think that brings a different dynamic to it because you have to explain to the mentor your context, which in itself can be a very useful thing to do. Um, one of the sort of long lasting aspects of that experience is that I'm still, we used to meet together as, as a group of mentees and as our own journeys have evolved, we've stayed together, we, we meet quite regularly. So that's been a really um, positive upside to that. And a kind of a, there's a sorority in that, if you like, as well. And um, the 30% Club does sort of quite extensive mentoring with the IMI. Um, and again, that's cross company mentoring. And I think that that works very well. More recently in my sort of later careers, um, I have found we, I, I mentor a number of women, both inside and outside the firm. And I definitely learn as much, if not more, from them as they do from me. I mean, I, I, it's the sort of reverse mentoring context where you, you get to hear somebody's experience and I think um, you know to be a, to be either a mentee or a mentor is a really valuable uh, aspect of, of one's career I would make the distinction as well between mentorship and sponsorship because I think more recently there's that focus on, on sponsorship which is I think mentors sort of speak with you and sponsors speak about you and I think that if, if people can identify somebody to sponsor them in their career I think that's a really important um, career development piece and I think historically and it's, it's not I mean it's not a criticism of, of, of men or women but I think sometimes men are better at finding sponsors uh, than women have been so I think that uh, people need to kind of consciously go out of their way to try and find um, sponsors and I think some organizations and firms have formal sponsorship policies but I think that if you can have a, a you know a mentor and a sponsor that's that's the ideal combination I think you've touched on some of those more formal mentorship programs that you've been involved in. Is there any advice you'd give to someone who finds themselves probably without a mentor and sees the value in it, but has never been able to find that, that right, that right connection or that right person? Well, I think it depends on the organization you're in. I think some HR departments are very sort of well set up to, to have mentoring schemes and, and can put people together. But I think the, my main advice would be, don't be afraid to ask. You know, people like being asked to help out um, and wouldn't worry too much about the connection. I think it's important, though, to have fairly serious ground rules so that, you're, you know, you're not saying, will you speak to me seven times a week or anything like that? You know, I think you have, say, like, could we meet for a coffee once, once a month, once every two months and do it for a year, for example? I think it's important to have the parameters very clear for everybody involved so that um, it doesn't get, you know, it, it, it's not too burdensome on, on one person or the other. And I think also as a mentee, you need to manage the relationship. So I, I think you don't wait for the mentor to contact you. You must contact them. I think you need to own it. And, uh, I, and the thing is, I, I just wouldn't be afraid to ask. I think the main thing is just ask. And if it doesn't work out, that's not a disaster. Ask somebody else. You know, I think we need to be brave about it and just get on with it. 100%. The 30% Club published a report showing some pretty positive trends in the promotion of gender diversity and inclusion by Irish businesses. The data showed that number of women in the lower levels of management increased from 30% to 45% from 2015 to 2018. 
And during the same period, the proportion of uh, executive director rose from 23% to 30%, and at CEO level, from 14 to 18%. How do you feel the Irish business community is doing in the promotion of other groups who are underrepresented in leadership roles, be that based on race, socioeconomic background, age, otherwise? And what advice would you give to leaders looking to drive representation of these groups? Well, I think that's, that's a really good question. And I think um, if I could start just by saying that, that the research is, is very positive on the, on the women front. And I think that, uh, you know, we're definitely on the right trajectory and who knows, you know, post COVID where, where that will go in terms of, we could be having a, a, a kickstart moment now and after this crisis, but that remains to be seen. I do think that, um, the focus on, on women doesn't exclude all those other areas. So if you focus on all women, you know, you're also, you're including women, you know, in different races and different socioeconomic backgrounds as well. So I think that if you develop that culture of inclusivity, where you are welcome, you're welcoming everybody and making them feel like they belong. I think that that is almost, you know, self-perpetuating so, so that, that it isn't it isn't one group or another. And I, I don't particularly like the word intersectionality, but there is that intersectionality piece where it isn't just about different groups. It's, it's trying to be welcoming to all groups. Um, I think that for business leaders who want to make a difference in this space and actually make progress, I think data is really everything as well. I think that you can't, it's all very well to talk about, um, you know, aspirational uh, goals. But I think if you set yourself targets and, and, ways to, to get to those targets. That's a really important thing. So it's not just, you know, everything, it, it, it's back to that thing, you know, what gets measured gets done. And you know, if businesses set themselves targets and try and reach them, I think that's a really uh, good starting point. You're listening to the Libs Leadership Series brought to you in partnership with our sponsors, Davy Group and Morgan McKinley. You can join Libs from our website, li-bs.co.uk. On today's podcast, we're speaking with Rachel Hussey, Head of Business Development, Arthur Cox, and Chair of the 30% Club Ireland. Rachel shares her thoughts on mentorship, leading remote teams, and diversity in the Irish business community. Back to the interview. Law firms have traditionally been seen as quite intense work environments, where long hours and short client response times are expected. Have you seen views on work-life balance evolve over the course of your career? And, And do you feel there is more their partners or other leaders in the legal sector can be doing to champion this? I think that the world has changed completely since I started my career in terms of attitude to, to family life. And I think um, the important thing is, isn't just, as you're kind of alluding to in your question, it's not just about the women and the mothers. And I think that's a really important point. It's about society and, and, and men and women in work. And I think that uh, was in the, in the, past and probably in the last century at the end of the last century it was a very kind of male environment and quite macho and all that presenteeism i think that uh what we touched on earlier around agile working and people being able to kind of work from home or even you know go home and log on later on if that if needs be i think technology has really enabled a huge if you identify one reason that things have changed so much i think technology has been the key enabler for that and I think that we all recognize, and even the, you know, the increased travel, like people work while they're traveling. So what they can work while they're traveling, they can work when they're at home. And if the COVID crisis has taught us anything, it's that it has completely busted the myth that it's not possible to work from home. So I think that's going to be in terms of a real kickstart for that um, kind of uh, the flexibility. I mean, the research that you mentioned about 30% of 
you'll have seen that, you know, flexibility is a really important thing for people as a whole, for men and women. And I think that, that, that what we've seen in, in the last three months will really transform the attitude to flexibility, which will, go, which will improve the, I suppose, the atmosphere and the, the sort of slight sense of presenteeism that you hear sort of in some, in some organizations and companies, you have to actually be there to be doing the work. I think we've, we've proved beyond doubt that that's no longer the case. Um, I think also there's an increasingly focus on, on outputs as opposed to inputs. Um, which is a, an important shift as well. Um, so I think, I think we're making progress. I think, you know, professional services as a, as a whole are, are slightly different, which is why in the 30% Club we have a group, especially for professional services. But I think there's a great um, desire to try and, and change things and, and, and maybe kind of tweak the way we work to, to accommodate more people. And I think that's a very positive thing. And I think that will just continue. Well, Rachel... Thank you very much for joining us today on the Libs Leadership Series. Is there somewhere people should go if they want to learn more about you and your, your thoughts on leadership? Well, I, I, at the moment, I'm writing a series of articles for Accountancy Ireland. I've written three, and I think I've three more to do for the end of the year. So um, delighted if people take a look at that. And they have a Twitter feed, Accountancy Ireland, that they can look at. The 30% Lib itself has quite an active Twitter feed. And um, we're also on LinkedIn, so I do feature there, but so does the 30% Club and, and our strategy and our, our progress in terms of um, opportunities for people as well. I would encourage people to look at for, you know, mentoring opportunities and we have quite a, a fantastic selection of scholarships available, executive education that we've partnered with a lot of um, education providers in Ireland. So I'd encourage people to uh, keep an eye on the 30% Club Twitter feed. Wonderful. Well, Rachel, thank you again for joining us today. Thank you very much, Brian. That's it for today's podcast. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Davy Group and Morgan McKinley. For more information about the London Irish Business Society, you can find us on all of the usual social channels. Thank you for listening. <laughs>